I hope you've been able to make the connection with the ripple effect. God is allowing us as a church to have an impact. And that impact is through uh, church planting that we talked about last week, campus ministry that we're talking about this week. And this week as we prayed, you as a congregation have been able to pray for our discipleship ministries, our mercy ministries. And so God is using us. God is using you. And I hope you're making that connection and celebrating that. This morning, we're thrilled to have Richie Sessions come with us. Come on up. So Richie is the RUF director at Vanderbilt. Richie has served as a senior pastor. He and his wife, Laura, have three children. And I told Richie this earlier. I've mentioned this to the early service. I met Richie today for the first time. And uh, I sense that there's going to be a connection and that we'll, this friendship is going to continue. But I've been impressed with him by the people who have been impressed with him. So we're really thrilled to have you with us, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you, Oak Mountain Prez. Hey, Tom, can I get some water? I think I threw my water away. Sorry. Thanks, man. Um, if y'all could stand, we're going to read from uh, John chapter 1. Glad to be here. It's interesting to meet someone for the first time with a mask on. It's like I won't. Yeah, so thank you, Tom. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. This is, uh, this is Jesus and the skeptic. Uh, because that's who I minister to. And that's this generation. And it's this world um, about Christianity. So how does Jesus engage the skeptic? John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. may be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, would you meet with us in the inner person, in our souls, and say it is well? Would you give us faith where there is unbelief? hope where there is despair? Would you give us freedom where there is bondage and oppression? Would you give us uh, cleansing and forgiveness where there is guilt and shame? And now, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with me as I open up your word and point people to you. Help me get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Like I said, I minister to skeptics and uh, very smart skeptics. Uh, Vanderbilt, in the six years I've been there, uh, the acceptance rate has somewhere been somewhere between like 6 and 
There's no way I would have gotten into the school where I'm a campus minister. Uh, not even, not, that's not like I'm being cute. Um, but it's just they're very high-performing, very high-functioning students. And they're not Southern, uh, maybe even the way they used to be at Vanderbilt 20 years ago. Um, there are more students uh, last year uh, from Chicago or from Illinois than there were from Tennessee. So it's just increasingly become a more national and international university. There were 100 Chinese nationals in just about each freshman class. So Chinese students are um, everywhere in Vanderbilt, Asian students, Asian-American students too. But they're, they're a lot like Nathaniel. A lot of them are coming with real questions about Christianity. And, and honestly, uh, it's easy to be skeptical about Christianity. If you've stepped out and sort of zoomed out a little bit, um, we're kind of a laughing stock. That's okay. We kind of always have been. But really, right now, it's kind of a dumpster fire in a lot of ways. The scandals and there's always some sort of front page thing and... The political back and forth and up and down and round is really, it's embarrassing. It's absurd in a lot of ways, especially at a campus like Vanderbilt. How do you bring the gospel? How do you open up a 2,000-year-old book and tell them that it's the word of God? Well, you really have to approach it, approach it the way Jesus does. And um, I find this passage extremely um, encouraging to me, and I hope you will too. So we're going to look at three things today. The skeptic. Point one, point two, the skeptic in Jesus, and then three, so what? The skeptic, maybe you're here today, maybe you're a skeptic and you're here today. And I love to ask a question like, why are you, why are you here? And one, like they want you here, we want you here. But like, what are you looking for? Who are you looking for? So the skeptic, the skeptic in Jesus, and so what? The skeptic, the skeptic is someone who investigates. He's not just someone who doubts. A lot of time we think about the skeptic just negative in negative terms. The skeptic is someone who like wants answers, who's looking for answers, who investigates, who reads, who's asking these questions. And RUF wants to be a place where we can give honest questions to honest answers to honest questions. And so that really fits who Nathaniel is. We see Nathaniel in verse 45, Philip coming to Nathaniel and saying, We found him whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. That is the Messiah. Here's what, he's, here's what Philip, Philip knows Nathaniel and knows that Nathaniel has done his homework. He knows that Genesis 3.15 was the first promise of the Messiah coming, that, the, that God would send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. It was the first promise of the gospel. And that the rest of the Old Testament, we call the Old Testament, it was just their Bible, it's just an unfolding of that promise. An unfolding of the promise. When is the Messiah going to come? And so you go to places like Exodus, or you go to places like Deuteronomy, and you can go to Isaiah, where it's even called the fifth gospel. Because there's so many promises about the Messiah. The one that the law and the prophets have spoken to. In other words, uh, a skeptic is not someone who hasn't done their homework. A skeptic is someone who wants to know the truth and scours it. I'm I'm around students like this all the time. And they ask questions about the Bible. They ask me, how could the Bible possibly be God's word? How could the Bible be inerrant? How could the Bible have any authority? Those are hard questions, right? But they're asking those questions. The culture's asking those questions. Many people in the culture are asking those questions. 
We talk about a ripple effect of what U.S. missions is about. It's about that. It's about us being present for people who have legitimately hard questions about Christianity. It's not about us hiding behind some sort of power scheme or political thing or, or even do-goodism or, or any kind of like morality, any of that stuff. It's about us being present with people who have real questions. That's what it is. A skeptic investigates. But a skeptic is also honest. Nathaniel's very honest. Jesus noticed that, notices that in a minute. But one of the ways we know he's honest is that he doesn't just say he believes something or say he likes something if he doesn't believe it, which is very common, I found, in Southern Christianity. I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. I know Arkansas is sort of the place that no one ever wants to claim in the South. But it's very much like that. It's very, it's very churchy. It's very Christian. And so it, saying that you're not a Christian, saying that you don't go to church is, is still to this day, it's, it's kind of passe. But that's not like the rest of the country. And it's definitely not like Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt may be in the Bible Belt, but they've missed a loop. It's not the Bible Belt. And so they won't say they believe something if they don't believe it. And so Nathaniel someone who speaks his mind. Philip says, we found the, the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And, and Philip says, Nazareth? What good could ever come out of Nazareth? He's like, are you kidding me? This great promise is from Nazareth? And here's what he's saying. Nazareth is podunk. Nazareth is backwoods. Nazareth is nothing. There's no way the Messiah can come out of Nazareth. You know, a lot of commentators think that Nathaniel's being snobby here, looking down on Nazareth, but I actually think, uh, other people have written on this, I actually think it's something a little uh, more common is going on there that we could probably relate to. Uh, we find out later that, that Nathaniel's from Cana in Galilee, which means it was a little town in Galilee too. Galilee is a northern part of Israel, and so these two little towns probably would have been rivals. And you know, there's no bigger rivalry that you can have between them between two little towns, right? It's like there's no greater rivalry than two single-A high schools, right? That's a real rivalry. And so here's what he's saying. Uh, You're telling me that the Messiah, there's no way that the Messiah could be from a place that is as irrelevant and as dumb as where I'm from. In the place that I even look down on, a rivalry that I have with that place. There's no way. Here's what he's saying. He's honest about saying that. He's even honest to Jesus when Jesus says, you know, I, 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 you're, you're an you're a Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And the first thing he says to him is, how do you know me? You know, <laughs> at that point, you know, I was trying to get my feelings hurt at this point. Like, how do you know me? Philip's just like, oh, I'd be kind of embarrassed if I was Philip at this point. I mean, like, we've, I've brought you here and they're saying, how do you know, how do you know me? What do you say? What do you know about me? How do you know me? It reminds me of one of my students. I've talked, to him in all th- I've talked about him in all three services. And um, one of my students from a, from a big northeastern city will say that. A big northeastern city. He, he was not only... Um, brilliant chemical engineering major, but he was also the chair of his fraternity, the chair of the rush. He was rush chair for his fraternity and his, his house, the house where his fraternity was, it, it looked like a castle. It was literally built by the Perot family. So you have a guy whose ACT like doubled my ACT, but he's also like way cooler than I am. So on the surface in every way he's crushing it. Well, every 
Monday at 5 p.m., I had a Bible study for this fraternity at the kosher deli that's on campus, the Jewish kosher deli called Greens. You talk about the kingdom, you talk about some funkiness, you talk about weird. Here we are, I open up the Bible and I talk about Jesus and this student would come and he wouldn't say a lot and sometimes he would just kind of cross his arms and just kind of go, I don't know about that. You know, people from northeastern cities, they don't, they don't sort of candy coat things like they do from Arkansas. If they think something's stupid, they'll tell you they think that's ridiculous. If they have a question, they'll ask the question directly, the, the quickest way from point A to point B, and they do that. They don't go all over the place like we do. Here's the point. We need thicker skin if we're going to engage skeptics. We need thicker skin and we need to be where they are instead of waiting for them to come to us. We have to be on their turf. That's one of the reasons that I uprooted my family, and they were all mad at me for almost an entire year, uprooted my family from Memphis, Tennessee, where I was a senior pastor of a church, to go be a campus minister, and everyone thought I was crazy. Someone just told me I was having a midlife crisis. I said, I probably am. That sounds good. But I wanted to be on the turf. I wanted to be where those people were. So we have to go to those people. And that's exactly what God did. The, the, the sun left the very heaven of God and came to earth, was born in Nazareth, right in there. And he also, we also have to have thicker skin. So people are going to push back against you. They're going to say things about your faith. They're going to ask you hard questions. You're going to feel stupid in front of them. I feel stupid every day, just about when I would go on campus, back when I could go on campus, and driving my CRV from Franklin, Tennessee, where we live, down Hillsborough Road, to finally just go and walk around. And people are wondering, what is this 40-something guy, 40-year-old something guy, walking around on campus, talking to people about Jesus and the Bible? It feels foolish. It never doesn't feel foolish. It always does. And they're going to ask you hard questions, but there's also an openness to a skeptic. He's not a cynic. He's a skeptic. A cynic is someone who's already made up his mind about God. That's, that's someone that you're, you can't have a conversation with yet. A cynic is someone who's already made up his mind about God and about the church and about Jesus and Christianity. A cynic refuses to hope again in order to protect themselves, maybe because they've really been hurt. They arm themselves in sarcasm and sarcasm and bitterness and intellectual elitism and all other kind of things. A cynic is someone who doesn't investigate it oftentimes. They just say they discount Christianity. Christianity's stupid. A lot of times I'll ask students, have you ever investigated Christianity? Have you read the Bible? Have you read the gospel? Have you done anything like that? And he's like, no, I haven't. And I was like, how is that a thing? You reject something you haven't even investigated. So that's something that you say to people. If people reject Christianity, they've never investigated Christianity. We need to stop also being so nice, have thicker skin and say, well, how can you discount something you've never looked at? I think that we have to realize if we're actually going to reach, we're going to reach Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church, RUF, if we're going to reach this generation, we need to be a little tougher, a little bolder, a little wilder, a little less about keeping appearances up. We just have to. That's the way Nathaniel would relate. But there's something else about a skeptic is he wants to go and see. They go and see. That's what Philip says. Look, just come and see. Go and see. Here's what that means. Go and see for yourself. Go, go and see. Go ask the hard questions about the resurrection. We want to encourage someone who's a skeptic about the faith to go and say, like, 
Go and look at all the miracles. Don't shy away from any of them. The man, the one swallowed with the, the guy swallowed Jonah, swallowed by a fish. Go at that one. And Joshua, where the sun stood still, the resurrection. How about this one? The big one. The creation of the universe, the cosmos, was created by God, and it was not some great cosmic accident. Every single one of those things, come and see, means let let us boldly deal with the deep questions. Maybe some of you here have have not really even dug into those questions yourself because you're afraid that you may not actually believe it. Stop playing Nerf ball and actually go and see. See if it's true for yourself. I think sometimes we carry the gospel around as Christians like it's this little sort of fragile egg that we're afraid if someone really smart gets close to it and breaks it. That is not, that needs to, that, this postmodern world we live in, we need to stop that. The gospel will stand when we fall. And yes, it is outrageous that people were swallowed by a fish. It is outrageous that we, we worship a, a crucified first century man who was a carpenter for 30 years. And we believe he's the son of God. It is outrageous. Tell people it's outrageous. Someone would say, that's the most outrageous thing you've ever... I was like, tell me about it. Christianity is bonkers, man. But it's true. That's what they want to hear. Tell them to come see. And what you'll find is a lot of my students are like the writer Julian Barnes saying things like, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. There's an echo of desire, hope, a longing in this generation. What if you have a friend like... Philip, what if you have a, what if, what if you're like Philip and you have a friend like Nathaniel? What should you do? Invite them to church. Invite them to church. Invite them to a Bible study. Like you probably can think of a friend right now. If you have a, a, a friend who is not convinced of the gospel, who does not believe Christianity, but if you would say doesn't classify as, as to cynic, but actually is interested or would be open to do something like that, why haven't you asked them? Why haven't you invited them to something like that? Do you have, how about this? Do you have any friends that aren't Christians? Maybe you should pray for that. Maybe you should start a book club in your neighborhood and study all kinds of books, not just the Christian books, so you can have a conversation. You want to talk about being weird and wild? Buckle up. How can you start having conversations? There's a lot of ways you can do that. So that's the skeptic. Let's look at what happens when Jesus meets the skeptic. When Jesus meets the skeptic. The first thing he does is he affirms his authenticity. It's the first thing he does. Jesus looks at him in verse 47 and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying this about this guy. In whom there is no deceit. Here's an Israelite, another translation, who doesn't have a false bone in his body. Here's one who's not going to be fake. Here is one who's authentic. Jesus loved that. Jesus loves it when people are honest. Jesus loves it when people are getting rid of pretense. I think it's because he's surrounded by it all the time. That's why he told the story of Luke chapter 18 when there's a Pharisee who is so proud of himself. And by the way, he's, by the way, very respectable and very cleaned up. He looks like his lifelong Presbyterian, catechized and everything. Just, he was just crushing it on all those levels. And he prays a beautiful, wonderful prayer. It just doesn't, so happens he doesn't actually pray anything about God. He just praises God about how blessed he is and how good he is and how great he is. And Jesus said, but there's this other guy who was a tax collector who was like a first century pirate. A thief who was over in the corner who wouldn't even look up to heaven. 
And he was just pounding his, pounding his breast and he was saying, have mercy on me, the sinner. Jesus loved telling that story. He said, that guy's justified. This other guy, he's self-justified. It means he's not justified. Authenticity means you're honest about your problems. So how do we engage the skeptic? We're honest, authentic, and we love it when they're authentic. What I like to do with students is I'm very blunt with them. I want to be really honest with them. I don't tell them what they want to hear. And they like that. Most of them that are seeking. But here's what's the powerful piece. The real power. Is that Jesus sees through our skepticism to our longing. He tells Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? He says, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And he said, Rabbi, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. Here the point is, the skeptic. It's just like every other human being that deep down is just looking for a safe place to land. Every single one of us has a longing so, so deep we have trouble even putting into words. A longing, as Lewis said, for our own far-off country. A longing for a world where everything's right. A longing for a place where there's no more, no more COVID. A, a longing for a place where there is no more hatred. A longing for a place where we are no longer broken and flawed. Jesus sees right into that deep longing. We don't know exactly what he saw. That's between Jesus and Nathaniel. But Jesus sees underneath the skepticism to a desire for the kingdom. And I've seen him do that with students. A real kingdom. The real happy ever after. Not sentimentality. We're not giving students sentimentality. Sentimentality would as zero Zero pull at Vanderbilt University in 2020. But something that has been investigated and something that has been hashed out and something that's been talked about and someone who's not given them trite little like refrigerator magnet sayings about Christianity. Someone who's saying like, it's crazy and it's true. I saw you under the fig tree. The real power is there. Supernatural power. Is I've been ministry long enough, been a person long enough to know that every single person in this room has something really hard in their life. Every single one of us have a bunch of loose ends. And no matter how much money we have or how much we accomplished or no matter how well we do on a test, no matter how good our resume looks, any of those things, there is something in every human being. If you're honest, every single human being that is broken and you can't fix. Jesus sees you. Do you see? All ministry is, is removing all of the stuff that a skeptic puts between themselves and Jesus. Because it's always about Jesus. The world needs Jesus to see them. Right down to their core. Right down to their fear. He speaks to the greatest needs of the human heart. The gospel of Jesus speaks to the greatest desires and needs of every human heart. And the world needs to see the church believing it. And so he says, 
you believe because you, you said I saw you, you're going to see something greater than that. You're going to see heaven and earth open up. You're going to see heaven open up and you're going to see angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. And Nathaniel would have known that that was Genesis chapter 28 and that was about Jacob. And that Jacob had, that rascal had wrestled with God, that liar, that deceiver, had wrestled with God and thrown himself at God. And then he sees this vision of this ladder that connected heaven and earth because that connection between heaven and earth, that is the greatest desire of every human. That's what we want, home. Every society, do you know every religion has what's called an axis mundi. Most of the time it's a great tree or it's a mountain or it's something that connects heaven and earth. We can't erase our desire for heaven and earth to be back together like the Garden of Eden. Jacob sees it's a ladder, angels descending, but Jesus says something. He, he goes a step farther. He explains the whole thing. He says, heaven will be open and you will see angels descending, not on a ladder that connects heaven and earth, on me, the Nazarene. You know what that means? Home, our true home, has been brought here to us. Right at our elbow. That's the power. Your deepest longings, they've come. Your hope has come. He's here. He came here 2,000 years ago. He's actually real. It's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. Don't say it's not outrageous. Don't just make a, like a, a Southern Christian thing. Like it's, yeah, it's just Christianity. It sounds great. No, we've been inoculated with the gospel. We need to be shocked. It is bananas that a man is the Messiah. That's crazy. And it's true. Both of those things, that paradox, that's the power of the gospel. Don't be afraid that it's crazy. Tell them it's true too. So what? What do we do with this? Do you know how safe you are in Jesus? And you are not safe at all externally. Your life, we have no control over so many things. Do you know how eternally safe you are in Jesus? In Christ you are actually seated right now in Christ in eternity in the heavenly realms. You've already died. You've already passed through this life. There's a part of you, the truest part of you has already come home. So I love telling my students at Vanderbilt, the best thing that is ever going to happen to you has already happened to you in Jesus Christ. You talk about scrambling their eggs you tell a student who is completely future-oriented and them and their mommy and their daddy have been making sure that they get into Vanderbilt and then go work at Bain Consulting by the time they're 24 years old. You tell them that the best thing has already happened to them. You know what they see? They may think I'm crazy and walk out, may come back. Some of them see the Nazarene. And peace fills them up. You're all safe you are in Christ. All of you in Christ. When you die, you die in Christ. Death is sleep for us. So what does that mean for us? It means that revival starts with us. It always starts in the church. It means we become amazed by God's grace again. Really. And you know how we do that? 
we authentically go deep down into our greatest desires and questions and fears, and we let God's gospel, we see God's gospel by his spirit really liberate us. Some of you in your 50s, 60s, and 70s, it's not too late for you. Right now, now's the time. The revival starts here, and it also means that we, we embrace the foolishness of being followers of the Nazarene. That's the design. My whole life, I have wanted to be like Captain America. You know, like Captain America? I want to be like as cool as Captain America. You know, he was like bowed up. The new Captain America throw his shield, like kill 400 people. Jump, he jumps out of airplanes without a parachute. My whole life, I, I, I wanted to be great. I wanted to hit the home run. I wanted to be people that people loved. I wanted to be the people that was, I wanted to be the person that people adored. I wanted to be big. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be my whole life. But here's where I realized something. I am not great like Captain America. You know what I'm more like? I'm a lot more like Steve Rogers, the pre-Captain America. Have you ever seen the movie? He's the wimpiest little dude ever. And the army won't take him. There's a war. We don't want you. He's so feeble and so weak. And I started realizing my whole life I've wanted to be great. Y'all, the church is not Captain America and Christians are not Captain America. The church is weak and we're weak and we follow the Nazarene. The one who Isaiah 53 says wasn't even handsome. Suffering servant. Gentle and mild. Here's what that means. You don't have to be great. You don't have to do this. In fact, only your weakness will make you powerful. Only your story of brokenness and your sin and your struggles and the things that you want to change so much in your life, you can't change them. And you've asked God a million times to change them. Like Paul cried out over and over and over again, take this thorn from me. And he says, my grace is enough for you. And you know what? The grace is enough for Steve Rogers. And so I'm learning Vanderbilt, the only way I could ever go to a campus like that and preach the gospel and see students like the student that I've told you about, he is now a member of a church in this city where he's moved back to. He is actually volunteering in the children's department. I saw him converted one day when he asked me, truly change when he asked me, can I meet with you for lunch? And he told me his whole story, and it was sad. And God saw him. But you know what he needed for me? He didn't need me to be Captain America. He didn't need for me to be like Mr. Cool Guy. He didn't need for me to be Mr. Smart Guy. I, I can't convince a guy from Boston that I'm, I, that I'm sophisticated. You know what he needed me to be? Weak. Steve Rogers. Just point people to Jesus. That's missions. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach this gospel Thank you for the opportunity to, to remind myself of the good news that you use the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Lord, would you help us fill our weakness so that we can really embrace your wisdom? That we could feel that your grace is enough for us, Lord. I pray for the people that are hearing this that really, really are crying out for your spirit to show them the good news once again. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.